This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. This is the true story of fruits and vegetables. The real world of farmers, researchers, chefs, foodies, and more. The Specialty Produce app is an educational, expository, live encyclopedia of fresh foods that you can hold in the palm of your hand. Download today on Apple or Android and start exploring the crazy, wonderful, insightful stories of produce. On the Front Burner puts two no-nonsense culinary professionals on air discussing tough industry topics, interviewing fascinating food personalities, and providing penetrating looks at the industry that we love. We don't always agree and often provide compelling personal insights from a unique combination of life experiences. You know, it's a lively give and take. It's by no means conventional. Elaine owns Sweet Cheeks Baking Company and is a winner of the Food Network's Cupcake Wars and Fabulous Cakes. A seasoned industry professional, she is a cake designer and a certified sommelier. Don is a chef, an award-winning journalist, and a culinary educator. Together we take a not-always-pretty, sometimes-funny, and always-entertaining look at the world of food and beverage. Hello, I'm Don Williamson, and you're on the front burner. We're uh, doing the second half of our podcast this this week, and we're we've been talking about healthy eating and diet, and the whole concept of diet not as trying to lose weight for to fit into a dress or a suit, but diet as a lifestyle, including exercise and stress and relationships. And we've been talking to Elizabeth Epstein, an internal medicine physician at UCSD. Thanks again for being with us, Elizabeth. Thanks again for having me. It's an honor. Sure. And Elizabeth, beyond being a physician, is also an author. She's written a cookbook called A Beautiful Heart, and it's chock full of recipes and friendly but important advice about eating and lifestyle. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And the first thing I want to know, Elizabeth, is out of all the things you could have done, why did you decide to write a cookbook? Because I... I think I identified, I think we kind of mentioned before, I identified an area where I felt like I could make a real difference. So I'd seen food as art and a positive experience at Ballet Malou, and then I'd seen... That was a restaurant in Ireland where you worked. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I had seen food as medicine with Dr. Suhar and integrative cardiology here in San Diego, but I had felt that it the food kind of lost that art and inspiration and positivity. So I thought, I want to marry these two and help people, empower people to make these dietary changes in a way that they can actually enjoy. Um, so I think once I found that, I was determined to to write the book and kind of got on a mission to empower people. So when you decided, okay, a cookbook's what I want to do, how did you go about that? You hadn't written a cookbook before. What were the steps you took to make that happen? 
I started with a lot of research. So I researched what uh, the latest evidence we have about a healthy diet um, says that that we should be eating. Um, so that I focused on, um, kind of focused me on the Mediterranean diet and the Predimen trial, which was a large-scale clinical trial that showed overall 30% reduction in risk of cardiovascular events with the Mediterranean diet, uh, and even up to 50% reduction with good adherence to the diet. Um, really, the Mediterranean diet, I found through the research, has the most research the largest quantity of research body of evidence um, for it than any other diet. That's really interesting because if I was going to write a cookbook and maybe as a chef, the first thing I'd do is start looking through my favorite recipes. But what you did was to look at how that fit into your whole scope of diet and healthy eating. I like that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you were aiming for a diet with lots of fish and lean meats such as chicken or turkey, eliminating red meat, minimizing salt and added sugar, minimizing empty calories, and maximizing nutrition in each meal, even in decadent desserts. How do you have a decadent dessert and take all that stuff out of it? A little bit of creativity, I think. I pretty... I was pretty amazed what I could, you know, I could take a recipe and I have a big sweet tooth. Um, so I love the dessert part, but I could take a recipe, take out the butter, replace it with almond butter or um, olive oil and have amazing result or, or think, what if I just reduce the sugar to a quarter cup in the whole recipe? I wonder how it would taste. And I tested it, and it would taste amazing. So I think I just experimented and found ways to make recipes still delicious but healthy. Mm, great. And I think one of the things that I really like about what you've done and and you and it comes out in your philosophy about being creative, being brave, learning how to translate healthy dietary principles into beautiful, delicious food. That's just a great thought. I just like that. And your whole idea about sugar, because I find as a chef that when I'm cooking, I will automatically in a dessert cut the sugar in half, just automatically. I don't care what I'm making. I cut it in half. And it tastes just fine. And I think even better because you're not overpowered by that big sugar hit. So anyway, you're telling us about what you did. You did your research, and you've got great photos in the book. How did you make all this happen? So I basically didn't really know. I didn't really know what I was doing when I started. I knew medicine, but so I got I got my research, and I started just testing recipes. I went through a whole phase, which took years of testing recipes, changing recipes to make them healthier, and coming up with a list of recipes that I genuinely love uh, and make in my own life um, that adhered to the dietary principles that were inexpensive. The ingredients were simple. You could get them at any grocery store, and they were delicious. So I took a long time to get that list of recipes um, together. Once I did that, I moved on to, and also writing the book and the descriptions and everything. Um, 
And then you move on to the photography. And that was also a new adventure that I didn't know anything about. But I started looking into it. I thought, maybe I'll do this myself, but it would be really nice if I could kind of apprentice with a food photographer or something and maybe just figure out what he does. So I found a local food photographer here in San Diego named Justin Galloway. And I saw the way he photographed food. I I thought it was very effortless, which was something that I wanted to communicate uh, through the photos in my book is that these recipes are beautiful, delicious, effortless, almost thrown together. You can do it, um, you know, encouraging people that they can do it. And so I contacted him uh, and he said, yeah, let's let's do maybe a test shoot together and I'll kind of show you what goes into this. Uh, and at the time, I still had the sense, maybe I'll do, be able to do this myself after that. Well, when I saw what goes into food photography, I knew immediately that I could never do it myself. It is it is an art of its own. And um, Justin Galloway truly is an artist. And I was amazed by what he did. And I think, you know, he luckily for me, believed in my mission as well and enjoyed photographing the food and for some reason decided he'd work with me and do the whole book. And you guys, and he even has a food stylist. Can you give me a sense of what a food stylist is and does? Yeah, so Justin then uh, introduced me to the concept of a food stylist, which is another area another art of its own uh, that I didn't know about. So basically, the fact of the matter is that food looks like mush when you take a picture of it, unless you have an expert to arrange it and make it look like the art that it really is. So Carolyn Pasquale um, was uh, a food stylist that Justin knew and introduced me to, and uh, we luckily got her on board for the book as well. And she came with her toolkit, her blowtorch, and her melting gun, and, and all of her other tricks up her sleeve, and really made each recipe look like the beautiful work of art that it is. Hmm. And that did, did that put you off at all? Well, I don't want that done to my food. I just want my food natural the way it is. What what were your, what were your thoughts about that? I think I think when you put food on a table and it's in real life and real time, it does look beautiful and effortless, but when you take a picture of it, if you don't know what you're doing, it doesn't look that way. And so I think she, in my mind, she and Justin were able to make the food look how it really looks in person in a photo. So to me, it still was authentic. Great. And so we've got areas. There's breakfast. There are apps and snacks. There's sandwiches and small plates, salads and sides main dishes and entrees, and, of course, desserts. But one thing you won't find in a beautiful heart is red meat or poultry. You want to talk about that a little bit? Because I know some people are going to say, whoa, wait a minute. 
So definitely avoiding red meat was one of my goals, but as part of the Mediterranean diet, um, fish, lean meats like fish, chicken, and turkey are are acceptable. Um, and I definitely grappled with, I wanted to put some chicken and turkey recipes in the book as well. And I mentioned a couple times in the book that it's okay to substitute chicken or turkey if you wish, but I I'm a pescatarian. And I also wanted to truly believe in every single recipe and know from my own experience that I love it. It's easy to cook in everyday life. So in order for me to do that, I had to make recipes that I myself would eat. So it was kind of kind of a dilemma for me because I, I don't want to I didn't want the book to be my opinion of what people should eat. I think there are a lot of books out there that are somebody's opinion of what a healthy diet is. But I felt like it was my duty as a physician and as a cookbook author to take the research and the evidence and translate that to readers. So that's really what I was trying to do with the book. So I I did communicate in the book that chicken, turkey, and fish are all fine, and you can you can substitute that in as you please. Um, but I I did not include the chicken and turkey recipes because I wasn't able to personally test them. Did you get any pushback at all when you initially uh, presented the book? Somebody saying, well, we need a little more meat in here, or did that never come up? No, I, that, I've i never had that come up. I think it was good to have my – I had my reasoning clear, which was that this is the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology recommendations for a healthy diet. So it was pretty easy for me to explain the reasoning behind um, the ingredients that I was including in the book. And I also had it reviewed by the um, nutritionist, Dr. Cheryl Rock at UC San Diego, who she actually uh, was in one of the authors of a book, Nutrition for the Prevention of Chronic Disease. So and she actually wrote the foreword for this book, right? Yes, mm-hmm. she did. Um, so she was kind of another set of eyes for me that I was including recipes and ingredients that adhere to the nutritional evidence we have. Okay. Um, let's talk about uh, s- some of the recipes in the book. And one of the things I want to mention, what I really liked, was that you didn't preach you in the book. You didn't try to pull people over to your way of thinking, but you gave some solid, fact-based kind of information about why you had what you had in the book. And it was very clear from reading the book to see your passion and your love of food and your and that whole concept of food as art. And what I really liked is you said that art can be messy and it doesn't have to be perfect. And that's true with your food. Talked about that a little bit. Yeah, I think you know, one of the barriers to cooking is people think, oh, I don't know how to cook. I'm not a chef. I can't do it. But food is something that anybody can jump into and make a recipe. And I just think people shouldn't feel afraid to mess up or to make a mess. Um, and wanted to show people that um, anyone can really Anyone can jump in and cook. There there really shouldn't be a fear of not being able to do it. Great. Um, 
So we'll just take a couple of things and look at them. You've got breakfast. For breakfast, I picked out, and you may want to pick something else out. I picked out daily bread, overnight oats, and almond butter breakfast bread. Tell me about one of those. Well, daily bread uh, actually comes from the Ballymaloo Cookery School, um, which was the cooking school I, I had a chance to work at and take some classes at in Ireland. That is their classic brown bread for every day. Um, so I included that recipe and, and simplified the directions to make it more achievable, I think, um, for 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 the common reader. Um, and it's, you know, I think bread is, to me, kind of one of the delights of cooking. And I liked that recipe because I think people would think they wouldn't be able to cook bread, especially when it involves yeast. That sounds very intimidating. But the recipe is easy as can be. You can seriously use one bowl. It's foolproof. You don't have to be perfect. And it, and you can make an amazing, delicious heavenly smelling loaf of bread and that's own also home. healthy that's also healthy exactly it's filled with whole grains and um i think and whole grains are a part of the mediterranean diet great in your apps and snacks you had a magic ingredient that i think people should use more and it's pesto and I was so pleased to see that because there's so many ways to make pesto, so many things you can make pesto out of. And we have a demonstration that we do where we take the same basic ingredients and change them from Mexican to Chinese to European, all by changing the pesto. Tell us how you came up with that pesto. I love pesto, and um, it was one of the fun parts of being a cookbook author because I couldn't choose between two pesto recipes, and I was like, what do I do? And then I was like, oh, I can include both because I'm in charge. Um, but I agree with you. There are many different ways to make pesto, and I, I, I say in the book that there was you need a creamy factor. Um, so in my two recipes, one of them uses tofu as a creamy factor and the other one uses avocado as a creamy factor. Um, and then there are lots of ways to use pesto. You can use it on a sandwich, on pasta, as a dip. Um, so I try to point out all those different ways. Great. We look at, and, and we're into a, sm a sandwich and small plate kind of world. And you had two that I really liked, and, and, and one was your open-faced, curried, and classic chickpea salad sandwich, and your other were your crispy salmon cakes. Tell me a little bit about either one or both of those. I think I I love the chickpea salad sandwiches. I think just classically I love like tuna salad and egg salad, and this is just another option that uses a legume. And... It, they're both delicious. The curry is a little more flavorful, and the other one is kind of your basic, gives you the feel of a tuna salad. Um, and they're great for preparing for the week ahead. On a Sunday, I'll prepare you know 
a big bowl of one of them and you can just spread it on a sandwich throughout the week or put a spoonful of it on top of a salad. So it's a really easy way to get ready for the week and have some healthy meals ready for you. I noticed that you made your own mayo. Tell us what's different with your mayo and the mayo I'd get off the shelf in the grocery store. It includes healthy fat. That's the main difference. So it uses olive oil. And, um, you know, I don't, I try not to get into the nitty gritty of nutritional details in the book, but, you know, the, what's the deal with, you know, should I eat low fat or should I eat low carb? It's really you need to eat the right fats and the right carbs. So in, in regards to fats, it's the unsaturated fats. That's the olive oil, avocado, vegetable oils. And so I created a mayonnaise that uses a healthy fat instead of fat from animals, which is saturated. Great, great. And No one cares what I think, but for all the great pictures you have in the book, that Mediterranean masterpiece salad is such a gorgeous picture. I wish you'd put put that on the cover. It looks so good. Um, Tell us about that. That, That's your classic Mediterranean diet Mm -hmm. salad, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I like to make salads into main dishes, and I do that by adding all kinds of wonderful, hearty ingredients into them. So I think people think, oh, a salad, that's too light to be a dinner. But this salad has all kinds of delicious ingredients. Such that, as? Such as, um, well, it has your basic Mediterranean salad vegetables. So you've got the greens and the tomatoes and cucumber and artichoke. Um, but then it has these wonderful sweet potato falafels um, that have in them, they've got some uh, almonds. So you get the the fat, healthy fat portion. They've got sweet potatoes, obviously. They've got egg. um, And they're extremely easy to make. You dump everything into a blender, blend it up, form into little balls, and you can either bake them or cook them in a pan. Hmm. All right. I like that. That sounds good. I'm going to have to jump ahead now to my favorite stuff here. We're going to get to dessert, and we want to talk a little bit about that. Um, You've got a gorgeous-looking strawberry frozen yogurt that I'm sure we're all familiar with. Anything different about that you want to talk about? Yeah, I. this is kind of... I, I think an exciting way to use a banana. So um, if if you don't know about banana frozen yogurt, hopefully you can take this away from the podcast. But it turns out that if you freeze banana and then blend it up, you have to use a high power blender because I've or a food processor because I've told people about this and they've broken a low power blender. So uh, you need a strong blender, but you you basically blend up frozen banana and it comes out the consistency of your classic creamy frozen yogurt from the corner ice cream shop. So that strawberry frozen yogurt was one of the recipes that I've come up with uh, to make yogurt. So I have in the book, I have chocolate almond frozen yogurt, and then I have the strawberry. Okay, great. And we got to get to my one weakness. I probably have a lot of them, but chocolate chip cookies are my major weakness, and you've got an oatmeal chocolate chip cookie recipe. Tell us a little bit about that. And I'm a little disappointed you didn't bring any today, but that's okay. 
<laughs> I should have. I really should have. Um, I also love chocolate chip cookies. Dessert's my favorite. Um, one day, I I seriously just started throwing things into a bowl and thought, well, these are all healthy ingredients. I wonder if I can make cookies. And because I love cookies so much, I, I can pretty much make a cookie out of anything. But this was a real winner recipe. Um it uses a healthy fat almond butter, but which it gives this this really nutty, delicious flavor. And then I use dark chocolate chunks and oats. So you have whole grains and dark chocolate, which is also healthy um, and very little sugar in, in the recipe as well. So you really don't need too much sugar to make a delicious chocolate chip cookie that's big and fluffy and gooey and amazing. And since we're on the gooey, and you might not think about this. She's got a gooey black bean brownie. Hmm. Tell me about that one. This is one that required a lot of testing because as a true lover of brownies, I don't want to bite into a brownie and taste black beans. Um, so that did happen for many of the prior iterations of this recipe. But finally, I reached a recipe where the black beans take the place of the flour, they add healthy protein, and they add an awesome gooey fudginess to the brownie. I like my brownies fudgy. Um, and meanwhile, you all you taste is just dark chocolate. So I'm really happy with this recipe. Finally got a good black bean brownie recipe where it's just delicious fudgy brownie and you won't taste the black beans i promise you that okay i'll hold you to that one if you had to look at what you've learned from doing this because so many people want to write a cookbook every chef i know wants to write a cookbook every home cook wants to write a cookbook what have you learned from doing this cookbook that you would pass on to people that say hey i want to do that I think I would say the first step is just to get clear on your mission. What do you want to do with the cookbook and how is that going to serve people? Because it's all, it's all about serving other people um, and, and getting your message across to the world. And how is that message going to be different than other people's and help people in a new way? And if you get clear on that, I think everything else is going to fall into place. You just put in the hard work follow the path and and be willing to put in that hard work. But if it's something you enjoy, it's not going to feel like work at all. So for me, it, it took four years to do. And people say, how did you do that? How, how did you find the time? I don't even remember finding the time. It was just a fun thing to do. And because I believed in my mission, I was able to share that with other people. And, and they agreed and thought, oh, I, I agree. I think that mission is going to help people. And they jumped on board. And I had help from some wonderful, incredible experts in their fields. And it's really humbling to have had that that help. Uh, and I just have to attribute it to to the mission itself. Yeah. Well, the book is a beautiful heart. And it's a beautiful job. It's It's obvious the amount of time and research and effort that you put into it and it's done in such a way and i want to repeat it's not preachy it it isn't overwritten but it gives you a sense that this is your mission and that there is something to this whole diet as a lifestyle and they're just really really pleasant recipes that i can't wait to try some of 
Elizabeth, I want to thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you so much for having me. I've loved talking to you and makes me really happy to hear that that you like the book as well. Right. So we've been talking with Elizabeth Epstein, uh, internal medicine physician at UCSD, the author of A Beautiful Heart. And if people want to get a beautiful heart, want to get their hands on that and start making these recipes, what do they do? They can look at my website, which is a beautifulheartcookbook.com, and there find links to the book on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Here locally in San Diego, it's also available at Warwick's Bookstore in La Jolla. That's a beautifulheart.com. Elizabeth Epstein, thank you again. I'm Don Williamson, and you've been on the front burner.